You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Uh, we have been working our way through the book of Proverbs this semester in RUF, looking at the issue of wisdom. And I've tried to say each week that there are some very clear black and white do's and don'ts in the world. So, for example, uh, you do not pull your phone out in class if you're getting pocket points. Right? That's a clear, clear no-no. Also, another clear no-no, you do not go to Cool Beans for coffee. Not a coffee shop. As I've discovered. And um, (laughs) there are very clear black and white do's and don'ts. But outside of the black and whites, 95% of your life is in this kind of gray zone where black and white rules don't really apply. And so we've said that wisdom is developing the skill at how to do the gray areas of life. Questions like, we need a fifth person for our house next year. Who should we get? Should I ask that guy from class that I don't really know that well? Uh, questions like, should I eat at Chipotle? It feels dangerous these days. So tonight we're, tonight we're going to uh, take on a pretty big topic. I just want to read you one verse, two verses out of Proverbs chapter 3. You can follow along in your handout. It goes like this. Trust in the Lord. This is Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Let me pray, and then we'll consider what these passages mean. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this group tonight. Thank you for their willingness to come and uh, brave the traffic and the crowds and um, everything else that they've got going on in their life. I know that there are folks in here that are bored, that are skeptical, that are curious why they're even here. There are folks in this room that are anxious, that don't like big crowds. Uh, There are folks in this room that are excited, happy to connect with each other, happy to connect with you. I pray whatever way that we find ourselves that you'd meet with us and um, you would show us your beauty and your goodness. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the TV show The Office, um, but there's this one amazing episode called The Surplus where Michael discovers that there's a $4,300 surplus that he has to spend by the end of the day or it will be deducted from next year's budget. So there's this group of people that say, you need to spend the money on new chairs. All of our chairs are horrible. Our backs are out of whack. Like, chairs need serious upgrading. And he's like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. But then this other group comes in and says, no, 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 the copier. The copier is totally janky and it's out of date. Like, please upgrade the copier. And he's like, well, that's a good choice too. They both need to be fixed. They both need to be upgraded. And so the whole episode is him at this crossroads. What do I do? And so both groups kind of present their cases. Doesn't help in making the decision. If you remember, he brings up Hank, the security guard from downstairs to help him make the decision. That doesn't help. Both sides try to like butter him up and take him out to lunch, and they're laughing at all of his jokes, trying to convince him to side with them. That doesn't really work, and so in the end, he just decides to take the money himself. And um, 
you know, I begin that way because uh, I feel like for where you are in life, you're at a unique stage where you are making tons of decisions. Some of them, like massive decisions. Some not so massive. But you're just at a season where you're just, tr- you're, you're, you've got a ton of decisions on the table. Uh, what should I major in? What should I do this summer? Who should I live with? Uh, what should I do after I graduate? Should I take this job or that job? Should I do this internship or that internship? Uh, what city should I go back to after I graduate? Should I go back home, find, explore something new? Uh, you know, should I get married to this person that I'm dating, or should we part ways after college? I mean, there's like a million questions that are big life questions that you're dealing with. And if you're going to make decisions that are good, the book of Proverbs says that you need to develop wisdom. That if you're going to make wise decisions, then you need to develop wisdom. And the way that you're going to develop wisdom in this particular area of making decisions, I want to try to show you from some of these Proverbs tonight that you're going to need three things. You're going to need to, one, change your expectations. You're going to need to, two, avoid some pitfalls. And then number three, you're going to need to work the process. So the three ideas that I want to explore with you tonight are that. Uh, You have to change your expectations. You have to avoid the pitfalls, and you have to work the process. And by the way, I'm just getting, I'm, to cite my sources, I'm getting a lot of help tonight from a friend of mine, Jeremy Jones. Um, so let's begin by just saying, what, what do I mean when I say you've got to change your expectations? And if you look at your sheet, uh, or if, you're, if you have a Bible handy, we're going to look at Proverbs 16.3 to start out. It says this, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now what's interesting about that is, When I first read it, I thought it meant the exact opposite of what it actually says. I thought it said, commit your plans to the Lord, and then your then your work will be established, your work will succeed. In other words, I've got some I've got some plans that I want to make, God. I want to do this. I'm gonna offer it up to you, and then He's gonna bless it and it's gonna go well, right? That's what it seems like it's saying. It says the exact opposite. Look at it a little bit more closely. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Your work is what you do. That's your life. That's how you live. He's saying commit your life to the Lord, and then your plans will be established. In other words, you will become a person that makes good plans. And the word commit means to roll over onto. It means to fully put all of your weight onto the Lord. So what, this, what 16.3 is essentially saying is this unconditionally trust the Lord with every detail of your life and you will in time slowly become someone who makes wise decisions. That's what it's saying. In fact, that says the same thing that I read to you just a second ago, Proverbs 3. I'll read it again. Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And here's where, so here's where we have to change our expectations. God does not tell you what decisions to make, but rather he tells you how to become the type of person that makes wise decisions. That's a massive distinction. God does not tell you what decisions you ought to make. Rather, he tells you how to become the kind of person that makes wise decisions. Does God have a plan for your life? Yes, absolutely. Do we want God to tell us every detail of that plan? Yes, absolutely. And God says, no, that, those plans are for me to know and not for you to know. 
But what I want you to do, rather than me telling you everything that I want you to do in this life, I want you to trust me. Trust me with your life. Trust me with your future. Trust me with your decisions. Trust me with your secrets. Trust me with your shame. And when you do that, I will in time develop you and transform you into somebody that becomes wise and makes wise decisions. Think of it like this. Uh, The best way that I can think of how to untangle these two ideas is to compare me when I was in a band in middle school versus me when I was in a band in college. So from 6th grade to 8th grade, I was in the school band and played trombone. And uh, you'd go to practice and the band director would give you sheet music and you put it in your little this thing. What is this thing called? Whatever. Stand. <laughs> I public speak for a living. And um, Put your sheet music on. It's got all the notes scripted out for you. And you're in band and you just play the notes one by one. But when I was in college, I formed a band with some friends of mine. And we called ourselves Where Are My Pants. That was the name of our band. Mega blockbuster success. In fact, we've got some CDs for sale in the back. Joke. Um, But... What, what, how we basically made music in college was one of my friends would play chords on the guitar and then the rest of us would just kind of do whatever alongside of it. But it wasn't total chaos. It wasn't like musical insanity because there were boundaries. There was a key, you know, there was a, there was a key, there was a time signature. There were boundaries, but there was a whole lot of room to improvise as well. Me versus, you know, me in middle school versus me in college. We want God to relate to our lives and our decision making the way that you play music in middle school. We want him, in other words, we want him to give us the sheet music. Give us the exact notes you want me to play. Do you want me to be an engineer or an architect? Like, tell me which note to play. Do you, do you want me to be uh, in this group or in this group? Like, just tell me the notes. And he says, no. I'm not going to tell you every single note that I want you to play in your life. I'm going to give you some boundaries, but I'm going to give you a whole lot of freedom. A whole lot of freedom to improvise and kind of figure it out and make decisions on your own. Trust me in the midst of all of that gray zone, and you will become somebody that actually navigates it well. You'll learn and develop wisdom. But here's the question, though. How can we trust God with everything? With all of our decisions, all of our plans, all of our secrets, all of our future. How do we know God's trustworthy to handle all of that weight? And here's how we know. It's because of the cross. It's because of the cross. Jesus coming and dying on the cross is the historical demonstration that really proves two things. One, that God loves you. That he loves you enough to give up his son in your place. And secondly, it proves that he's committed to your good. Let me read you just one verse out of Romans 8. It says this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, what this is saying is this. If God loved you enough to give up his own son on your behalf, that means that you can trust that he's actually committed to your good. You can trust him with all the details of your life. He's trustworthy. He's supremely trustworthy and he's demonstrated it at the cross. So we have to change our expectations. If we are going to be people that make wise decisions, we have to realize he does not hand you a how-to-do-life, play-by-play instruction manual. He says, trust me with everything that you have. 
And when you do that, I will develop you into someone that's patient and wise and and kind and empathetic and self-aware, and you will make wise decisions. But secondly, not only do we have to change our expectations, we have to avoid some pitfalls. And I want to draw your attention to this next proverb, Proverbs 14, 12. It says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This is saying that there is a difference between perception and reality. That you can have an idea and think, this is a good idea and this makes sense to me. But it is actually the road to disaster. It actually leads to horrible outcomes. And as I have heard college students process and make decisions over the years, and I've seen myself make decisions over over the years, I've made some observations that college students use strategies and methods to make decisions that aren't good. I'm going to call them pitfalls, things that we easily just kind of fall into that seem right to us, make sense to us in the moment, but actually can lead us to bad places. So I just want to share with you five pitfalls, five um, methods that you and I can possibly use to make decisions that are no bueno. Uh, Here's the first one. The first pitfall that I would say that you have to avoid is by making decisions based off of signs. And you kind of know what I mean by this. Uh, God has a plan for your life. And rather than just telling you exactly what he wants you to do, he kind of drops little hints and clues that you have to kind of figure out and interpret and navigate on what he wants you to do. So, for example, let's say you're, you're really debating whether or not you want to become a young life leader next year. And you're, you're praying about it, you're wrestling with it, and you're at camp, you're at, you're at, you're at press court and you're walking to the hill for class and you're praying about it and thinking about it and as you look up from kind of being deep in thought someone happens to walk right by you that's wearing a Young Life shirt surely that is a sign from God right? that tells you you should make that decision or um, let's say you're debating whether or not you want to be, uh, you want to go on this mission trip to Africa this summer and you're thinking about it and talking about it with people while you're eating this bag of tortilla chips, and you pull out a chip that is in the shape of the continent of Africa. Surely that is God telling you what he wants you to do, right? Uh, I want to say this. Uh, making decisions based off of signs that you see out in the world, I would say is a bad way to make decisions. And here's why. It's because it assumes, it implies that God is sneaky and cruel. And he's kind of constructed reality like it's this corn maze. And he kind of throws you these little hints and clues for you to kind of piece together and figure out the way out. But the Bible is very clear. Reality is not constructed like a puzzle. And your life is not just an extended episode of religious CSI where you've got to piece together the clues and figure out how to do your life. The Bible never, ever tells you to make decisions based off of signs. Pitfall number one. Here's another pitfall. Uh, what I want to call Bible roulette. Uh, do you remember, uh, I don't know if y'all had these, but y'all, did y'all ever have the, the magic eight balls? It's kind of like a toy. It was, it was black. It was like the size of, a, like smaller than a bowling ball. It was filled with water. And you would, the premise was is that you would ask it a question and then kind of shake it up, and then you turn it over, and then like the, an answer would rise up to the top and say, like, yes, no, or something snarky. And um, 
we can relate to the Bible in the same way that we relate to kind of these magic eight ball toys, where we're, we're really debating, you know, what sorority should I go with? Which one should I choose? And you just kind of take the Bible and you close your eyes and you put it on the counter and let it open up and you kind of put your finger out and you open up your eyes and it says, and Judas hanged himself. (laughs) And you think, that's not helpful. What should I do? So we can relate to the Bible like we're playing Russian roulette. And again, bad way to make decisions. Because that's not how you read the Bible. You don't extract random verses that have nothing to do with your personal life and somehow try to make it apply to your personal life. Furthermore, that relates to God like you're relating to your horoscope. Like, the only reason he's communicating with you is to tell you details about the future, about your personal life, which is not what the Bible is. And that's not what he does. So another bad pitfall I would say to avoid. Third pitfall. This thing called open doors. You know, Christians have kind of insider language, and we use this language of like God opening a door, which basically would just mean that something became available to us. Whereas uh, if something's no longer available to us, we talk about you know, the opposite, God closing that particular door. And so we think, you know, gosh, God, uh, I want to do study abroad. Uh, let me know if you want to do it by opening a door and making it available. But again, I think this is a bad way to make decisions for the simple fact that just because something's available to you doesn't mean that it's necessarily a good idea for you to do it. Just because God makes something available or closes something doesn't really tell you one way or another whether or not you should do it. That alone. Open doors is not a good way to make decisions. Fourth pitfall. And this is, this is what I would say probably is the biggest for kind of spiritual Christian kind of people in our day and age. It's the feelings of peace. That we make decisions on the basis of whether or not I have a peace about it. Right? I, I, I want to go to winter conference just not feeling, I don't have a peace about it. And by that we kind of mean this warm, fuzzy feeling of like confidence, I guess. That like it feels good, it feels right for us to do this. And that's the way that God is telling me that I should do it is is if I have a peace. Peace by itself is not a good reason to do anything. For the simple fact that you could be mistaken. It's so subjective. It's just a a feeling. Just because you feel good about something is not a good reason for you to do it. There, There are a lot of things in the Christian life that don't feel good that you should do and you must do. Like forgiving people that really hurt you does not feel good. You will not feel peace about it. You must do it. Giving your money away to the poor does not feel good at all. And yet we have to do it. Like the life of faith is often (laughs) experienced in the exact opposite of peace. Like when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, if he had peace about that, he would have been a psychopath. Like when Jesus is in the garden debating whether or not he should go to the cross and he's so stressed out and he's sweating blood, he didn't look at God and say, I don't think I'm going to go to the cross. Don't have a peace about it. Do you know how many times um, the Bible says that you should make decisions on the basis of whether or not you have a peace about it? Zero. It never endorses that as a decision-making method. That would be your fourth pitfall. Here's the last one. 
this is a big topic, but it's essentially the idea of you hearing God speak to you. That you make decisions because you kind of have this hunch that God's directly speaking to you to do one, one thing or another. So, for example, you may have heard the story, this may be your story, where the guy sits down with a girl and says, hey, uh, I hate to do this, but God has kind of told me he thinks that we should break up. Which is another way of him saying, hey, I'm, I'm all in, by the way. I like you. I think this relationship is great. But the big man says we can't do it. So I've uh, got to shut it down. Which, in my opinion, is gutless immaturity. Because what that is is saying, uh, I uh, no longer like you and want to be committed in this, so I'm just going to baptize it with some Jesus language so I kind of get off the hook here. Which frees you from taking responsibility of just saying what you really feel, which is, I don't want to date you anymore. Which is okay. You can feel that. But as soon as you bring God into the equation, that kind of releases you from all responsibility. Now, I know that that's a, um, a lot to kind of throw at you. Um, five pitfalls to avoid. Uh, the Bible never tells us to make decisions based off of signs or of feelings of peace or of voices or of Bible roulette or any of this stuff. So here's the question. Why do we do it? Like, why do we still, like, why do we prefer these methods? And there's lots of reasons, I would imagine. There's only, I, I want to share with you one why I think we do it so much. Uh, it's because we don't want to grow up. Think about it like this. Um, Catherine and I have a, a beautiful little five-year-old daughter, Zoe Kate, and every now and then, if, some, if, if our neighbors have some kids that are playing next door, she'll come up to us and say, hey, can I go outside and play with my friends? And we'll say, sure, you can go outside and play. You know, we'll keep an eye on you, and we'll go get you here in 30 minutes or so because dinner's almost ready. Now, fast forward 13, 14 years from now, and she's a freshman at UT, and she's in the newly renovated Humes that just got finished 14 years from now. And uh, she's a freshman here, and she calls me up and says, you know, Dad, hey, some of my friends are playing out in press court. Uh, can I go out and play with them? I'm like, I, I don't know. You, you figure it out. Like, I don't care. You know your workload. Like, why are you calling me? That's bizarre. Uh, if I were to tell her yes or no, if I were to tell her what to do, that frees her up from assuming all risk and, and responsibility. And, and I think it's basically uh, the same way with us. We don't want to make decisions because it's hard. It's scary. As soon as you make a decision, you know what happens to all of your other options, right? You just ended all of your other options. That's scary, especially if you're the kind of person that likes to keep all of your options open. And if you've got that FOMO thing where you're like, oh, I'm so afraid of missing out. If I commit to this, then that means I can't do all this other stuff, right? It is hard and scary. But here's the deal. Uh, that's why we want God to tell us, just tell us what to do. Tell us what's the right way to go. And God says, no. I'm not going to tell you every little thing that you have to do. I actually want you to make a decision. I want you to grow up. I'm not going to be a, an accomplice to postponing your maturity. Make a decision. Assume some risk. Assume responsibility for your actions. And trust me in the midst of it. That's what he says. So those are the... Uh, those are the pitfalls to avoid. 
So we've got to change our expectations. God's not going to tell you every little note to play in your life. Uh, we've got to avoid the pitfalls of kind of all these bad ways that we can make decisions. But okay, third, how do we make decisions then? What do we do? And here's where I want to be really practical. And here's what I'm going to call uh, working the process. I want to give you five uh, more or less <laughs> steps to really be as practical as I can to kind of walk you through how do you make a decision then? Okay? Here's the first step in, in this process of actually making a decision. First step is this. Let the word of God guide you as much as possible. Let the word of God guide you as much as possible. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. It says this. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. From his mouth, that's his word. The Bible is his word. In other words, this is saying... That the Bible is what directs you and gives you wisdom and guides you. Okay, how does it do that? Uh, the Bible provides principles and boundaries for you that tells you what's uh, sinful and bad and not to do and what's biblical and allowable. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're in the UC and you just purchased some Chick-fil-A and you decided to buy water because water is free. But you get your food and you go over to the little drink thing and you're like... Water doesn't taste as good as Powerade. And you're debating, should I fill it up with Powerade? Uh, And then you think, oh, the Bible says, do not steal. Okay, I know in this moment with 100% certainty what God wants me to do. He does not want me to steal Powerade from the University of Tennessee. So you can know with absolute certainty that's what God does not want you to do because it falls outside of the boundaries. Everything outside the fence of what he says, do not do that, do not do that, you don't do. But everything within the fence, there's a lot of space. There's a lot of room to improvise. There's a a lot that can be allowed. So let's say that you have two decisions to make or you have a decision between two choices and it falls within the fence. Both are biblically allowable. What do you do next? Step two, you ask kingdom-oriented questions. Ask kingdom-oriented questions. Uh, So not only does the Bible tell you what's right and wrong, the black and white stuff, it also furnishes you, furnishes you with principles and values that are in line with his kingdom. So let's say that you have a... um, uh, You graduate and you you have a job offer in Nashville and you have a job offer in Atlanta. Kingdom-oriented questions would be kind of like this. Uh, Which one of these two options would bring more glory to God? Which one of these two options would enable me to serve my employers and serve my community in which I'll be living? Which of these two options is going to protect and preserve my spiritual health? Those are the questions that you ask. Um, But let's say, um, keep going. Step three. You pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom from God. You actually personally involve him in the process of your decision making. Because sometimes as you're praying and kind of processing through that decision, the Holy Spirit will begin to kind of nudge you one way or the other in terms of which of these two options is wiser. Which one of these just, sometimes it'll just kind of bubble up to the surface. This one makes more sense to me. This one fits with who I am and what I understand about my gifts better than this one. But let's say um, you've checked it with the Bible and it's allowable. And let's say that you've asked some kingdom-oriented questions and you've prayed about it and you still don't know what to do. 
Well, you keep working the process. And process number three, or step number four, rather, would be um, to gather intel. Gather intel. You ask other uh, people. Um, what are these, let's say you go back to the job equation. You've got a job offer in Nashville, a job offer in Atlanta. Uh, which of these two communities, what's it like to live in these communities? Is there a church where I'm going to be living? Is that church good? What is that job like there? You ask and you gather as much information as you can. And then here's the last thing, step five. Would be essentially to seek wise counsel. You find somebody that's older that's done the thing that you're debating whether or not you should do. And you ask them, what's it like to do that? You get other believers in your life and ask them questions and listen. Look at verse um, Proverbs 15.22. Without counsel, plans fail. So get some counsel from your friends, from your mentors, from your pastor. Uh, the church, you know, God's people, it's one of the richest sources of wisdom that he's given to us. To be able to lean on and uh, gather info and information from other people. So, okay, then here's the question. What if you do all five steps? You check the Bible, you ask kingdom-oriented questions, you pray, you, you gather the intel, you're seeking wise counsel, and still at the end of the day, you're like, I don't know what to do. What do you do then? Here's what you do. You make a decision. You just make a decision. You just pick whatever one you want to do. St. Augustine, in the 4th century, said this, Love God and do what you please. Love God, essentially saying, if you're seeking him, if you're trusting him, if you're submitting to him, the fact of the matter is, he's given you a lot of freedom to do what you want to do. So just do something. Like, just pick one. And then trust God with the results. You've got risks to take. You're never going to know. You might not even know in that moment, what does God actually want me to do in this situation? I don't know. I don't feel a peace about it. I feel... Uh, I don't know what to do. That's okay. Just make a decision. That does not sound very spiritual. That's the most spiritual thing I could tell you. Just make a decision. Here's why. Because God is good. And God is trustworthy. And he's big enough to handle whatever fallout of your decision might be. So you got a big decision to make? Here's what you do. You change your expectations. God's not going to necessarily tell you exactly what you want to hear. Second thing is you avoid all those pitfalls. You don't give into the temptation of postponing your maturity, of giving into signs or voices or whatever. But you work the process with maturity and with wisdom as kind of those five steps that I laid out. And here's the deal. The cross is the guarantee that he is good and that he is trustworthy. You can hand him everything, your decisions, your life, your secrets, your future. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much um, that you guide us in wisdom. And Father, I know that this kicks up a lot of questions, a lot of uh, confusion. And uh, no doubt this has kind of cut against the grain of what a lot of us may be thinking. And so I pray that you would help us and that you would meet us. And uh, would you enable us even now to roll over more of our weight onto you and trust you that this might be what you would have for us. Uh, and enable us to grow up in faith that you may transform us by your grace into people that are more kind and more 
gracious and generous and empathetic and self-aware and people that are actually wise and make wise decisions. Father, for those of us in the room that do have big decisions on the table, I pray that you would give them grace, that you would meet with them, that you would guide them. Uh, I pray that you would help us in all of our decision-making, help us to do this wisely and to not uh, give in to temptations and fall into uh, pitfalls. And um, we need your grace. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.